This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. Hello everyone, it is Fran here and just before we get started I have a couple of super quick corrections to this episode. You might have noticed I dropped it quite late last night and there were a few mistakes I made. So first off, Chris wrote 375 kilometres. So just 100 kilometres I missed off there. Sorry about that, Chris. And secondly, I wanted to say the music, as always, is from Kev Rowe on SoundCloud. He does offer some great public domain music. So thank you, Kev, for that one. Here we go. On with the show. I look back, there's a couple of things I did. Like, um, my dad actually took me on a cycling, like, not very far, like, I don't know, maybe three or four K down from their house. He said, look, you still did it. You're still doing it. It's fine. You didn't, nothing's changed there. You're still riding your bike. This hasn't changed everything. You can still do this stuff. Hello, adventurers. I am Fran Tarowskis and you are listening to Seize Your Adventure. And today's episode is in fact the last big chat that I have recorded for this season. There are going to be more episodes, but they are going to be a little bit different. So you have some new things to look forward to over the next couple of months. But in this chat today, I spoke to Chris Winwood. Now, you've heard me mention Chris before because he is actually one of my patrons. But I was introduced to Chris about a year ago via the British Columbia Epilepsy Society. So Chris is an epilepsy education and outreach worker for the BCES. And in the summer last year, Chris also raised some money for them by doing a cycling challenge from Prince George to Jasper, which for those of you like me who don't really know British Columbia is a pretty sizable distance of 275 kilometres in just two days. So Chris is pretty hardcore. He is also a ski instructor and he's based way up in Prince George in the vastness of Canada up there. And on Chris's Facebook page, The Diaries of an Epileptic Duck Bag Otaku, he has beautiful pictures of pine forest and trees and rocks and mountains and all of that kind of thing that you would expect of an adventurer based in Canada. Now, the conversation today is very similar to conversations that I've had in the past. I've often talked about the fact that doing adventure sports and challenges and getting outdoors can help someone keep a sense of themselves through an epilepsy diagnosis. And this conversation with Chris is no different. We do talk about that. But in it, we also talk about what came before that, when the epilepsy took away his sense of self. So Chris did a BA in nature-based tourism at university. His independence really relied on being healthy and able to drive, and his career relied on him being able to get out and do adventures in a professional context. So when he started having seizures when he was 21, it changed his life entirely. 
And I just want to give a couple of content warnings for this episode because Chris does talk about his depression due to epilepsy, misuse of alcohol and a moment of crisis. That comes in the middle of the conversation, but towards the end of the conversation we do talk more about his adventure challenges and the massive bike ride that he undertook. So the second content warning I have is that there is the smallest of swear words in this. To be honest with you, I kind of forgot that it was a swear word until I was editing it. So if there is anybody who doesn't like swears, just be aware of that. But hopefully it won't stop you from enjoying this. So here it is, my chat with Chris Winwood. So you said that you you moved over to... Canada when you were 14. So when did you start having the seizures? I'll just confirm that. I was 21 when I had my first, uh, well, noticeable seizure, so full um, tonic-clonic. And I was working as a landscaper and worked all day under a really hot sun and um, just didn't drink enough water while I was at work, got home, supposed to go mountain biking with a friend and unfortunately he was unable to make it so I just kind of went whatever I'll just go by myself I've done I've done a lot of mountain biking it's in a local area I just drove there got my mountain bike out and just went really easy short ride Um, and I didn't drink enough water when I was doing that and I hadn't eaten so I just dropped 10 minutes before I was going to get in my car that does scare me what were the limitations you were given when you had that tonic-clonic seizure? Did they say that you couldn't drive for a certain amount of time? Did you get your license um, essentially re- revoked for the moment? So what happened with my first seizure is that the physicians here basically tell you you can't drive for six months and your license goes in a box in your in your house and it doesn't come out. Mm. The doctor is not mandated to inform the driving authority, that you've had a seizure. Mm, Yes, I see. I would say that a lot of people either straight up don't tell their doctor that they're having seizures. Mm. Because there's a lot of frustration, I think, particularly with the length of time. I I just simply said, yep, six months, no driving. We'll reassess at the end of six months and we'll go from there. Beyond that, of course, it's doctor's discretion. Six months is the minimum for a non-provoked seizure. Three months for a provoked seizure. So, you know, if you can trace the roots back to the seizure, Mm. oh, I didn't sleep enough, missed meds, drank too much, then you can say, yeah, three months seizure free with doctor, with good conversation with your neurologist, then they can confirm that you can drive or basically is the way that it works. Yeah, that's really interesting because it sounds like in in a way it's very similar to the UK. We the doctors don't have to inform the the DBLA about seizures and things like that, but we have to own up to it if we've had a seizure. One of the things that I find is that not driving, I've never driven even before I started having the seizures. It's something that I kind of uh, decided to delay. It does make nature and adventure sports less accessible. The amount of things where I have to ask someone for a lift or I, I can't do something because I can't get there by public transport is just incredible. And I think it is one of those things that for me, because I never had it, I didn't miss it. 
but certainly it is I, I think the thing that a lot of people find the hardest mm-hmm. is not being able to drive and I can certainly see why especially in other countries like Canada and America where it's so integral to your your society and the distances that you're talking about what did you do during that six months did you um, have someone that could drive you around or was there another way that you dealt with that yeah so the the first six months that that first time period to to kind of put all of um this first seizure into perspective, I had just come back from an outward bound trip in Colorado and Alaska and done a lot of climbing. I had developed a lot of really cool outdoor skills as well as interpersonal skills, and I'd come back to Prince George hoping to continue all of that growing and I remember I'd promised myself that I was going to move out that I was going to finally leave the nest because I'm a millennial. My parents um, live 20 minutes outside of Prince George, so it's not impossible. But I moved into Prince George, into the town. Once I moved into town, I was able to gain access to the public transit that was available. And from from town, it was a little bit easier to manage, and I just brought my mountain bike with me and mountain bike to university. If I missed the bus or if I could get the bus, I got the bus. So it did require a shift and a move as far as that goes. And I was lucky enough that I was uh, relatively close to the university and the climbing gym and other areas and stuff. So I could figure out roughly where, where to, where I, where I could get to. When was the last time you had a seizure? Are you currently seizure free or are you? I have been seizure free. Oh gosh. Let me think about it. Last one was October of 2020. Uh, no. 2019. Um, that's going to say. 2019. <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> October 2020, yeah. Um, no, October 2019. I was down in Vancouver visiting friends and uh, actually um, having my first meeting with the BCES. And on the second day of the trip, I was getting from my friend's house to uh, the, the SkyTrain system in Vancouver. And Vancouver's public transit system is just amazing. Mm. And if I hear people complain about it, it drives me nuts. We, and I was actually on the, not on the stairs, thank God, not um, on the platform itself, but I was just about to get on the stairs and I dropped. Mm. But yeah, no, I just came to an ambulance and everything like that. You know, you're in a foreign, t- I don't live in Vancouver, so I have got no idea where I'm going, mm. you know. And that was scary because I was completely on my own. Uh, not an, a city that I don't live in, in a very large city that I don't live in, and I'm a country mouse in a big town mouse setting, mm. and that that is very much what <laughs> that's very much what it feels like when I go down there. But that was scary. I'm lucky I had friends and the members of the BCES, uh, Kim and Paul. They just were excellent because I sent them a message and I was like, "So funny story. I had a seizure on the way to you." <laughs> So I won't be making our meeting. Uh, and uh, Kim and Paul actually came to the hospital along with um, my really dear friends, uh, Kurt and Kelly. And they're definitely, both of those guys are instrumental in me being able to even be here, mm-hmm. both in, uh, in the support sense and in the mental health sense. Hello there. My name is Cathy Camleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. 
you enjoy travelling, spending time outside, learning about nature, or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes, and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's something which you are very open with. And um, there's a few videos that I've seen you've done on Facebook and you've shared on your, your Facebook page in particular. The diagnosis itself greatly changed who I was uh, the day that I found out that this was going to be something that wasn't going to go away. It was going to continue. My life has been in the backcountry of Canada. Um, All of my training, my career, my aspirations have been in the mountains and lakes of North America. So when I was diagnosed, I really thought that epilepsy had done me in. I thought I couldn't do anything I wanted to anymore. Um, I felt it was so restrictive. Um, And I just shut down mentally. The mental health aspect of epilepsy is really bad, like challenging, I'd say. Epilepsy is an invisible disorder. You don't see it. It's not like a wheelchair. It's not like a chemo patient. Epilepsy is something that you don't see until you see the seizure. Mm. So the mental health aspect of it for me was I was going to be a mountain guide. So I'd just come off Outward Bound. As I said, I was literally on top of my game. I was the fittest I'd ever been. I was in the best mental place I'd ever been. Like my birthday was in September. I was planning where, which mountain trip I was going to be doing on that. I literally was on top of the world. But after my first seizure, I probably sunk into about 18 months of utter depression and desolation. Not that you, not that I showed it, not that I was always 100% aware of it, but I was on, on top of epilepsy medications. I was also on uh, various antidepressants and I can't recall the name right now and of course those things are an entirely different kettle of fish you know you you miss a dose of epilepsy medic medication and you're more likely to have a seizure you miss a dose of an antidepressant and you think you're really good before you've missed it and then you miss it and actually you just you break down so i was i had put myself in a situation where i was so trained and so ready for the outdoors and then having had a seizure and I was going to try to be in a very professional capacity in a very unpredictable environment. So backcountry, mountaineering, these are environments where stuff can go wrong very quickly if you're not clever and make good decisions. And uh, the, my, my neurologist at the time, who I will always say is a really good neurologist, 
really good guy. I've met him outside of a patient context and even in a patient context. He was a lovely man. Um, but unfortunately, he did just say, yeah, no one's going to sign up. You might as well just give that up. And of course, not really what you want to hear. Mm. And that, that, that definitely started the downward spiral. And uh, from there, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I look back and there's a couple of things I did. Like um, my dad actually took me on a cycling, like not very far, like I don't know, maybe three or four K down from their house. And then we just rode back to the house and he said, look, you still did it. You're still doing it. It's fine. Mm. You didn't, nothing's changed there. You're still riding your bike. And then a couple weekends on, we did a hike together, a bit more remote this time around. So it was, again, just a, a way of saying to me, you're still doing these things. This, this isn't, this hasn't changed everything. You can still do this stuff. I was at university at the time and I was in an outdoor rec and tourism management program. And I was, and I was so lucky to have some amazing professors and fellow students that were just so supportive, wanting to make the outdoors accessible. Or, yeah, those people got me through it, but there were still times where I was drinking pretty heavily a lot and not being surrounded by people that understood necessarily the drive and the need to be outdoors. I was with a friend group that were, I would say, good people, but didn't get me 100%. Mm. They didn't really understand seizures, and they didn't really want to engage in the outdoors in the same way I want. So lots of issues there, but as a result of the depression and as a result of so many things, my mental health took serious downward spirals. I drank way too much. Goodness knows or why I wasn't having continual seizures, the amount of alcohol I was drinking. And I know now that alcohol is a significant trigger. It's so capable of ripping you apart. Mm. If you don't have good friends and you don't have support of people and of things that you want to continue to do, then it becomes such a challenge. And I did got some, some really negative habits. Uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of um, things like that. I was lucky enough that I actually had an old friend literally moving across the street. Mm. He said, what's your new address? And I gave him my address. And he goes, there's no way you're living there. Said, yeah, there is. And he had a good giggle at that. But he, he caught, came over in his house coat and slippers in the middle of winter. <laughs> and so he had a mountain bike I and I mountain biked. So we would just go mountain biking periodically. So he got me out as well. And I don't think anyone really knew. I don't think there was ever a real conscious effort on my behalf to really think about that I was depressed. There was definitely time periods, as I said, when I was like, okay, I probably need an antidepressant or I need to go and talk to someone about it. But I don't think I ever really related it to epilepsy. I kind of related it to school and just stresses of getting other things done and relationships. And mm. it was definitely, there was so much other things going on that I'm not, I don't think I ever equated it entirely with epilepsy, but looking back on it now, it's like, no, that's where it started. Epilepsy definitely was a major contributor to that because after the seizure, you have to redefine or help people try and understand. And if you're not with a group of people that want to try and understand or just aren't, not as not that they don't want to, they just don't understand how they can understand, as it were. That's how I would put it. So... Unfortunately, I got very depressed. Um, 
I think I mentioned in my video with the BCES, I had my friends, uh, Jordy and Thomas. I was very, very intoxicated one night and, um, and I, I was very down and, and they were like, we're going to come get you. And they passed the phone off onto, uh, Jordy's mom. And she said, I'm holding a rope and you're going to hold on to it until they get there. You're going to wait. That was the lowest time I probably experienced. And without those guys, I honestly don't know if I'd still be here today. So it was a very, very tough time for me. And again, spurred on my alcohol and things like that. So it becomes very apparent that you need to continue to do things in spite of epilepsy. You need to do those things. So I basically, as a result of all of these problems or all of these things that had started to happen, I related that I needed to have major life change mm -hmm. as a result of epilepsy and was lucky enough that I basically just started uh, hanging out with different people. Sometimes um, it's sad to say, but sometimes it is a good thing for everybody involved. It's not just for you. It's for for everybody involved you know if things aren't working out just for you they're not working out for everyone else so and so often frowned upon to to have a giggle about seizures and i get it i get why people don't don't like to do it but one of the things that got me through my depression was having a giggle about it having a bit of a chuckle mm. um because i always say if i wasn't laughing about epilepsy i'd be crying about it you know, how that takes form and what that looks like for each individual person means can differ. And I totally am respect as to why people can't handle that themselves. Mm. It definitely is something where if you're in it, you can, you can do what you need to do to make you carry on. And sometimes that's taking the piss out of your own condition. And oh, exactly. Yeah. So, like you say, you, when you, when you have the right friends, when you have the right people, you know how much you can push it with each other, don't you? Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, and after that people get, people feel comfortable. So therefore people want to ask questions mm. and it's not that big of a deal. There's no, you've taken that stigma away from epilepsy and you're just like, I don't care. If you, if, if you come and ask me questions, I'm going to give you answers. But one of my colleagues, I used to, this was in training for my big bike ride. He always used to ask me, he's like, where are you going? How long are you going for? And when can we expect you back? Hmm. And so if I was over that time period, which I never was, but he would have come and looked for me hmm. or someone would have come out and looked for me. And that's, again, that's just something you can do in the outdoors. That's something everyone should do, period, as someone who's, uh, done a lot of uh, risk management you always leave a trip plan you always even if you're not epileptic or you don't have seizures you always say this is where i'm going this is where i'm gonna be this day this time everyone does it i think it's always really interesting that comparison because i i say that it, it, it kind of works both ways if you've had epilepsy you're used to doing your risk assessments all the time, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing. So exactly. it kind of puts you in a good position to be able to do things that are a bit more adventurous because you're already quite used to, to seeing where the danger is and putting things in place and precautions in place. And similarly, I think quite a lot of people who, like yourself, are used to having those precautions in place for the adventure side of things. It, it sets you up quite nicely to be able to look after yourself with 
the epilepsy and with the seizures potentially oh yeah like it's definitely something that um you know changes and some people say to me in canada you know we've got black bears grizzly bears um elk moose these animals are all fairly dangerous in their own uh, in their own different ways and you have to manage the risks independently in general so i always say with epilepsy all you need is a second person in the bush with you mm. but before i had epilepsy i still wanted a second person with me because bear attacks it's um very rare for a bear to attack if you're in a group but in the back country and particularly in this country I personally am very averse to the idea of doing remote trails by, by yourself in general. Mm. Like I mountain bike in areas where I know I'm going to find people. So in Jasper National Park, you've got a series of small day hikes, day trails that are fairly frequently used, used enough that bears are going to be kept out of the way. Or if you were to have a seizure, you'd be found. Mm. And luckily enough, mountain biking is something you already wear a helmet for. So if you fall over, regardless of how you do it, your head's still protected. Yeah. So you just manage the risks in accordance with what you're going to do. So you probably have also seen the video of Helga on the Chilkoot Trail. She, uh, Helga made that trip possible. Not only had she already done all the planning for it, but she also was just like, oh, whatever, you have a blood to he's a first responder we both have significant training in first aid we both know what to do mm. and there was never any point where epilepsy even came into the equation it was just like oh if you were to have a seizure here what would we do it equated to the same thing as if you had a rock fall on your head what would you do because yes. they're not entirely dissimilar the damage caused by a rock is actually probably worse than a, a seizure yeah you the only thing is you kind of have to be more aware you're like okay this is a bit more likely but I've got a good supply of meds with me in my backpack and I've got a good mate that knows, that knows she knows what she's doing. We always had a, an evacuation plan if uh, anything got really bad, even on the even on the harder part of the trail, the, the golden staircase. Hmm. The plan would have been stay where we were until the post-tickle state was done and I was fit enough to go on and either go back down or continue up to the next campsite or to a safer area where we could just chill out for a bit and then continue to walk mm. and we take it a lot slower right it would be a different different set of things which is just an exaggerated version of what you do in in any exactly. situation essentially if you were out shopping it would be the same thing you wait until you're ready to move on and then then you you do it at the pace you need to do it it might be a little bit further until you can rest properly exactly your first video that you filmed there you filmed it at the end of the the Chilkoot trail and it's in the Yukon area I believe and in the video there is this beautiful lake with the quintessential mountains behind it Mm -hmm. can you explain how um, hiking that trail came about why did you choose that trail and how how did you find it oh Chilkoot Trail is um, uh, something that's normally on your bucket list for, for a while. It's a big big one. Actually, my first uh, year out of university, I went and worked for the National Outdoor Leadership School in the Yukon. And I'd been seizure-free for some time. I was actually, uh, during that time, I was 12 months seizure-free. So I was totally able to drive and enjoy the Yukon and 
and my job was essentially to go and do all the uh, all the equipment check. But when I was up there, you can't imagine how big and how wonderful and how beautiful the Yukon is. It's a phenomenally healing place for me. I took a lot of things further that summer. I became much more much more of a hardcore road biker. I was doing a lot more road cycling. And that came about as a result of seizures as well. But I often went to a place called uh, Haynes Junction. And uh, that's right on the edge of Pawani National um, Reserve and Protected Area. And it is just astounding. And I remember sitting there just in sheer awe of the size of the mountains. I went back and I hiked the trail by myself, which it's a very well-used trail in my defense. And it is just so beautiful up there. And I remember how much, how good of a feeling it was when I came home. And I went back to uh, my work at Purden Ski Village. And I had uh, Helga with me there. And she said, so I'm going to do the Chilku Trail this summer. And one of my friends has just packed out. Um, and I need another person to do it. There's another person also on the trip, and you've got a lot of backcountry hiking experience, and you know what you're doing. I said, yes, of course, I'll, I'll totally take the Chilkoot Trail with you. And it, it just kind of spawned from from there. And I hadn't done many big multi-day trips. I'd done overnights, like hiking up to an area, camping overnight, and then coming back. Hmm. But this was a multi-day we did it in three days total. Uh, when Helga first set it up, she'd booked a campsites that were kind of closer together on the American side, on the Alaskan side. And then once we got over to the Canadian side, things were a little different and we could um, change things out. I think originally it was uh, done for four days, but we ended up doing it in three. So she just invited me on this trip, and there was no way that I was going to say no. So I did it. And um, it just brought it about that I had done this stuff before, but it was so, so long ago. I remember sleeping in the back of the truck and getting up the next morning and being like, geez, I really hope I don't disappoint Helga. This has been years since I've done this. You know, you've got friends that you really care about, their respect for you. And uh, Helga is one of the people that I'm, I'm, I'm very much was like, you're someone I really respect, and I, you're a wonderful human being, and you've gotten me through so much stuff, and I don't want you to lose respect for me. I hadn't appreciated that until I got to the end, and and so, but we had a blast. It was just one of those things, you know, a friend tells you they're gonna do something, and just jump on board. And it was, again, a real heal- healing experience. Um, oh, it's gone onto the list. The list good. is getting very long. Great trail. <laughs> I um, need to stop speaking to people because every time I do, I'm just like, okay, so that's six more things on my uh, <laughs> list of stuff to do. And <laughs> um, I mean, my list keeps getting longer too. So yeah. <laughs> I, totally, I totally get that. Yeah. You were saying that you started doing more road cycling and that kind of thing, partly because of the epilepsy and that you couldn't drive as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Was that one of the reasons that you decided to do a very long bike ride for the BC Epilepsy Society to raise some money? Oh my gosh. Um, there are like, there's, that, that's a, uh, okay. So 
my, my road biking career is such a weird one because as a mountain biker, I always look on road bikers like, what are you doing? It's silly. And now I've become one. And um, it, it came about for a couple of reasons. Number one, couldn't get to places to go mountain biking. And in Prince George, we're very lucky. We have two different areas. But, you know, your friends that are going mountain biking live in town and they don't want to drive 20 minutes out of town come and get you even though they, they will they're like i've got friends that totally would have done it but it's a long way for people to come and mm. and, then, and i'm just like you know what no it's okay i'll find something else to do and i mean as um as my facebook name which is still way too long to pronounce and deal with the diaries of an epileptic dirtbag otaku comes from the idea that my life is so much at odds in every in absolutely every way none of my none of my interests and my None of this stuff aligns, which is fine because uh, yeah. I like to be like that. But it came from the fact that I couldn't get mountain bikes, I couldn't get people to bring me places. And it also came from the fact that uh, I was very much looking around for a new TV show to watch and I happened to enjoy anime, hence the otaku point mm-hmm. in the name. Um, and it was a cycling show. And I was watching it and I was like, damn, that's really cool. That's really cool. I like that sport. And so in one manner of speaking, epilepsy inspired it. In another manner of speaking, anatomy inspired it. And road biking just became all-consuming to a certain degree. I would never say I'm an avid cyclist or anything like that. I will say that I really enjoy cycling and I will go out daily to do it. But yeah, no, it's just because you can go straight from home. You can go straight from home and you can enjoy it. And I live in a pretty nice area, so I just get to go and... uh explore and i get to go and see things that i probably wouldn't have gone to see in a car so it's really nice and as a result of the the show which is all about bike racing because that's the premise of a lot of shows you have to have a competition and um i really remember thinking man they're biking really long distances in a really short amount of time they're not bike packing it's just the road bike and them in a team and man that would be really cool to do and that's definitely something i want to do and I was like, how can I make this a reality? What can I do to progress this? Just so happened to think, hey, you know what? Riding to Jasper would be pretty cool. Maybe I should do it for a cause. Uh, me and mom talked about it a little bit on a road trip, as I said, in one of my in my one of my videos. And then I happened to go and talk to my friend Joe. She said to me, okay, cool. I'll be your pilot car. What are the dates? What are the times? We're doing this. We're making it happen. And I was like, oh, uh, no excuse for me not to do it now. Yeah. So, yeah, conversation with my mother, followed by a definite, we're doing this from a person. You know, you have those people in your life. How far was it in total? So, Jasper, um, we did it from train station to train station. Prince George Station to Jasper train station. And it was 200 kilometers on the dot the first day to McBride. And then it was a further 175 from McBride to uh, Jasper. Yeah, it was really cool. I really loved it. My dad actually joined me for small, not small portions, but for portions of the of the ride as well, which was really fun, really good to see. Um, a lot of support, so that was really nice. And is that something which you, um, so you completely set up yourself, it wasn't part of a challenge that is already set by somebody else? No, just 
did it because yeah. I wanted to do it. <laughs> it was yeah. it fundamentally started off as an excuse to do something I wanted to do. But the more I thought about it and the more I got to reflect on it, the more it became just so powerful for me to turn around and kind of say, yeah, epilepsy hasn't stopped me. It's not mm-hmm. about, you know, it became that the entire trip became this metaphor because it rained, it rained and it stormed and it was windy <laughs> and it was nasty all the way. Jasper, like I had a couple of nice spells where I could take off my jacket and actually uh, just cycle in a regular Jersey. But nope, majority of the time it was windy and rainy right from the word go. Super windy, super rainy, right out of Prince George. Yeah. But right at the end, right at the end, we uh, there's one spot just before you get into Jasper where they've been working on the highway just because uh, very unstable cliffs beside it. So classic roadworks, red light, wait, what have you. And I, and I had to stop. And um, it was still raining and I was shaking. Apparently I was shaking. I didn't, I, I, I didn't feel it. Uh, Joe was calling her Grace and saying, bring the blankets, bring the blankets now because yeah. he's going to go. He's going to go. I was just standing there going, oh, well. Uh, you know, your legs are destroyed, but you're just so, I was so focused then. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, when we pulled into Jasper, the sun came out. And it was literally like this great metaphor of epilepsy was so difficult all the way up to this point. There have been so many challenges. It's been raining all the time. It was really, really difficult. But at the very end, life waits. Life is here now. Mm-hmm. You've done it. You've done something. And to me, that was just crazy. And even today, people tell me how awesome it was. And I still sit here and go, I just put my shoes on and pedaled. There's Mm. nothing, there's nothing that amazing about this. I just did it. And I actually prefer to emphasize that because anyone can do it. Uh, Anyone with epilepsy can get outside and do something. For me, it's cycling and can be normal. I don't think it has to be abnormal for us. It's not certainly my normal. Mm. We just have to do differently as we've been talking about, right? I might have done it to raise money for epilepsy, and I'm really proud and happy that I did. Mm. But I probably would have done it anyway. Yeah. It just turned into a really cool event. Um, and people still say, oh, you did so well. It was so amazing. I still sit here and go, eh. <laughs> I just think you haven't seen cool. nothing yet. <laughs> uh, I'm fine. I can go on. We'll, we'll 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 hit it even harder next year. <laughs> but still, what more mattered to me was just just telling people that this is normal. This can be your normal. Epilepsy doesn't take this away. You just do things slightly differently. Yeah. I have to ask everyone this, even though yeah. everyone has very similar answers. They're all slightly different. It's all. <laughs> It's all very poetically said. So if I were to say, what does adventure mean to you? What would your answer be? Adventure is, oh man, that's a difference. It's not difficult. Oh, you, but knew, it, you knew that it was coming. I knew, I, knew, I knew it was coming. Adventure, <laughs> the, the problem is, Fran, when you're trained at university level to think about this kind of stuff, it doesn't, it's not that, it, it becomes very complicated. <laughs> But um, what does adventure mean to me? Adventure essentially is it's just going 
out and pushing your boundary just that little bit. You can push your boundary massively, like I did with my bike. You can push your boundary a little bit and just seeing and engaging in things. You don't even have to push that boundary, but it's just being out and seeing new things and maybe even seeing old things in a new way. Every time I go out on my bike ride, as a result of all, all my journey, I always think how much more beautiful this is because I'm still here and because I'm still doing this. And that's adventure. It's experiencing things and taking them for what they are. Going out and going crazy, bike crazy, climb crazy, hike crazy, live, live life to the full. That's what this comes down to. If anything in our conversation today did affect you, or you would like to talk to someone about your mental health and how you are feeling because of your epilepsy or otherwise, there are a couple of numbers and websites in the show notes for you. So you can contact Mind, Epilepsy Action, Epilepsy Society, or have epilepsy hotlines. And there are some of the services available in Canada as well. Those are in the show notes for you. If you would like to see more of Chris and watch some of the videos that we talked about in the chat, you can find him on Facebook. He is the Diaries of an Epileptic Dirtbag Otaku. And that is linked in the show notes for you because, as Chris said, it is a bit of a tricky name. You can also find him on the BC Epilepsy Society website and I really recommend watching the video of him on there. It does give you a bit more insight into the cycling challenge that he did. So do go and check that one out. It's linked in the show notes. So this episode was really difficult to edit down, in fact, for a couple of reasons. Um, I think that Canadians are actually really just very friendly and chatty. My conversation with Chris was a very similar length to the one I had with Amanda last season. So I had over two hours worth of raw audio to deal with. If you do want an insight into just how difficult that was, I will be posting a little bit about it for my patrons. So if you sign up as a patron, you are supporting the work that I do on the podcast, but you do also get a few extras each month, including the patron-only newsletter, and that goes out every month. I just sent one today. If you'd like some of those extras, head over to patreon.com forward slash seize your adventure. Support starts at just $3 a month. So if you find that you are getting value out of the work I do and you do want a little bit of extra stuff, do consider signing up there. If you can't support financially, I understand, believe me. If you would like to support in a different way, please do share the episodes, write reviews and tell me if you do it because I do not always see these things, but I do appreciate it all. So thank you. As I said at the start, this is the last chat of the season, but don't worry, there are going to be a few more bonus episodes coming out. And of course, if you saw the Instagram live earlier this week, uh, my behind the scenes helper Frankie is working on her own episode as well, which will be out next month. And I'm really excited for you to hear that one. It's going to be a really interesting look at some of the people that were around Frankie when she was going through her diagnosis as well.
That is all from me for today, but as always, there is a little bit left from my guest to close the episode. So I'll leave you with what Chris says, and until next time, safe adventures everyone. Is there any particular advice that you would give to someone that has just been diagnosed with epilepsy? Don't panic. You will figure this out. You will have to make adjustments. Um, You will have to change some things and how you do them. But those adjustments mean that you will be able to do the same things you were doing before, just doing them slightly differently. Switch small things out like tubular blade for a grigri or being a bit more cautious about where you're planning your routes. Do I want to go that close to the really big cliff when I could go over here because my objective isn't a big cliff? Mm. Just rethinking some things, but it doesn't mean that you have to stop. And I mean, okay, I'm lucky I'm counting months between seizures, but to those people, even to those people that are having multiple seizures a day, you can still get outside. It requires that you just go a little differently you just go on a part on on a park trail that is a bit different you go with a friend and if you've got good friends they'll go with you i've got really good friends and they go with me not necessarily always when i want to do them but we we always plan and you can still do these things you just have to make the adjustments to it the outdoors is not out of your reach it's within your reach where you just you just have to work figure it out and it's worth working and figuring it out because it'll make it'll make you feel so much better i know i feel better when i go out into a nature it's where i get all my healing done this podcast is part of the tremula network adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track to find out more head to tremula.network